Let's see, students, it's good to be with you guys this Wednesday night. Uh, if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is Levi. I'm one of the pastors here. Good to see you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, 2024. Going to be a good one, probably. Um, that's what I said about 2020. Anyways. Um, <laughs> But that's not going to happen. Um, good to be with you guys. Uh, sure love you all. There's just no place I'd rather be on a Wednesday night than here with you all. And it just makes me happy that it's only the 3rd of January. We're back. We're back. No place I'd rather be. Thanks for being here with us. Um, for those of you that are new uh, or just kind of getting used to CA students, this is the part of our night where we open up God's Word. We do this every single week because we believe that God's Word, the Bible, is actually exactly what it's called. It's God's word to us, and that's what we're interested in, really. We want to hear what God has to say to us. Uh, we don't just want a TED Talk, right? We want to hear what God has to say to us, and so um, that's why we do this every week, to kind of get us um, warmed up to think about the topic for tonight. I want to present you with a moral quandary. I want to ask you what you would do. You are talking to your friend, and you notice there's food stuck right there in their teeth. Here is the moral quandary. What is the loving thing to do? You have to tell them? Does anyone think you should not tell them? Okay, but you're going to hurt their feelings. They're going to be embarrassed. It's like, oh, man, I'm embarrassed in that moment. Just do it discreetly. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. So you're willing to make them feel a little bit uncomfortable for a moment so that they won't feel very uncomfortable for the rest of the time. That, that makes sense? Okay. Now let's kind of up the moral quandary a little bit, right? Your friend got the answers to a test in advance of the test. Ooh. <laughs> right? And they're offering it to you. What is the loving thing to do? What is the loving thing to do? Is it, is it to <laughs> burn it with fire? Is it, is it to not make your friend feel uncomfortable and just take it and go with it? Is it to uh, just say, oh, you know, no, no thanks, you know? Is it to do something else? What is the loving thing to do in that moment? Let's keep upping the stakes. Your friend is experimenting with drugs and alcohol, and they're inviting you to join them. What is... Listen, listen, what is the loving thing to do? What is the loving thing to do? <laughs> Guys, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. What if your friend tells you that it doesn't really matter what you believe about God because all paths lead to God, right? In that moment, what is the loving thing to do? What is the loving thing to do? You see, Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so if we want to be followers of Jesus, if we want to commit ourselves to God's word, we need to know what is the really loving thing to do. Because that's what matters the most, faith expressing itself through love. And so as followers of Jesus, that's what we are here at CA Students. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. That's what this place is about. And so this is, you'll, you can get a picture of what that's like. We, we have, as followers of Jesus, we have one place to go. 
to find out what it means, what is really loving, what is loving in any given moment, right? And so we're going to be spending the next few weeks uh, talking about what is love, how do we navigate relationships, how do we talk about sexuality, we're going to talk about that next week, right? We're, we're going to be talking about these things, but we only have one authority that we go to, right? And that's God's word, because that is God himself revealing what is true, what is truly loving, right? And so before we jump into the rest of it today, would you pray with me and just ask, truly ask, I think of Ephesians chapter one, that the spirit of revelation and wisdom would be here with us. So God, that's what we ask for. We ask that you would show yourself to us, that you would show us how to live, that you would show us how to love so that we can follow you well in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is love? It's a catchy song. Don't start singing it or you won't be able to stop. What is love? The good news is the Bible very directly defines what love is. And so let's turn to that, 1 John 3.16. There's John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16, right? This is what it says. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So if you're wondering what love is, it looks like what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In Greek, which is the language the New Testament was written in, the word for love right there is agape, right? And so specifically, it's a self-sacrificing love. It's saying, oh, you need something? I love you, and so I will sacrifice so that your need can be met. That's what love is. That's what love is, according to the scriptures. And so whenever we think about what is the loving thing to do in a situation, we have to come back to what the Bible says love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so I like C.S. Lewis has a great definition. And he says this, love is not just an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. And so here's the first point on your handout. If it helps you to take notes, those are under your seat. It says, love is desiring and sacrificing for another person's good. Love is desiring and sacrificing for another person's good. You can have affection for someone. You can enjoy being with someone. But you love someone when you desire and are willing to sacrifice for their good. I think about, like, the experience of love I think about this all the time with my kids, right? I just, I have a fierce love for my children. And I just, I get so excited. I just delight when, when something good happens to them, when their good is being fulfilled, right? When other adults and friends just hug them and say, I love you so much. And my girls just smile so big. And my son, but he's just like this big, right? And they're just smiling and they, they are receiving. I'm like, yes. That is their good, and it's coming to pass. I know that I love them because I'm delighting in their good coming to pass, right? When, when, when I see my girls try something brave and succeed, I'm like, yes, 
You're doing it. I love you. I'm so proud. Your good is coming to pass. When, they, when I take them to In-N-Out and they, and they get to experience the goodness, like, yes! Right? I'm just, I'm so excited that this good is happening to them. That's love, right? And I'm willing to sacrifice to make that happen. I know you have examples too. When you, when you give a gift that you've been excited to give to someone and they're excited about it, it's that feeling, right? When you, when, when, when someone like enjoys in a, a surprising like act of service or something you did for them, it's that feeling, right? But it's not just desiring their good, it's being willing to sacrifice for it, right? It's when someone is in need and you don't have to help them, right? But you give of your time, you give of your resources, you give of your emotional reserves to help them, to encourage them, right? I think about this all the time with my son. He's five months old. His name's Asher. He's awesome. Except he's not awesome at sleeping through the night yet. And I just often think, I'm like, I lay down, and he like cries at like 2 a.m. And I'm like, there's just this moment where I'm like, well, someone has to help him, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and I like look over, and my wife's asleep, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> right, and it's like, if I didn't love him, I wouldn't sacrifice to meet his need, but I love him, and so I'm very willing to get up out of bed to help him, to help him fall back to sleep and lay him back down, right? I'm willing to sacrifice to make that happen because I love him, because that's for his good. It's for his thriving, his flourishing, right? And then when I, I lay him down and I get back to bed, and just when I get warm, then he cries again, right? And I'm willing to sac... Heather laughs. She knows what that's like, <laughs> right? She has kids, right? And you're willing to sacrifice for someone. Sometimes it's not just losing sleep. Sometimes it's, it's literally like giving money to someone who needs money. It's giving, it's just being a shoulder to cry on, to support someone. It's sacrificing for someone else's good. It makes me think of Hebrews 12 too. Jesus said, or it said about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because Jesus, he had joy at the thought of saving us, our good. He desired our good, so he sacrificed his own life to bring our good about. That's what love is, CA students. It's desiring and sacrificing for the good of someone else. And I just want to give a quick note that sometimes, if you're anything like me, you can hear this and and you can be like overwhelmed with guilt or overwhelmed with like, oh, I should do that, should do that, should do that, should do that. And you can have a tendency to run yourself ragged only serving other people. And then you just have nothing left to give. I just want to say I'm, I'm not calling you to that. Ephesians 5, 29 through 30 says, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, right? So I'm not calling you to some sort of like... Uh, just only ever thinking of other people and you completely let yourself be deprived of what you need, right? God loves you too, right? Uh, but there are moments where we are called to sacrifice of ourselves to serve others. Does that make sense? That's what love is, CA students. But then the question becomes, if it's desiring and sacrificing for someone else's good, 
how do you know what their ultimate good is? Does that make sense? What, what's the ultimate good for someone who has something stuck in their teeth, right? Is it a moment of embarrassment so that the rest of the evening they're not like, hey, guys, right, with food in their teeth? Or is it like, you know, I'm just not going to make them feel bad and maybe they won't know us until they get home, right? Like, what is the good? Because love pursues the good for other people. How do we know what that is? Point number two, you can write it down. If you want to truly love, you need to love truth. If you want to truly love, you need to love truth. And that's the title of this series that we're in, Truth and Love. Truth and love. If you want to truly love, you need to love truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Listen to this, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If you want to love someone, but you don't know what their good is, you're not going to be able to substantially love them. You may be able to offer some sentiment, or you may be able to like just be with them, but in order to love them, you have to pursue their good. And so we require knowledge outside of ourselves to be able to know what is good for someone else. The good news is that truth, that knowledge is available to us. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, hey, you want truth? It's me. Jesus reveals what truth is. He, he embodies truth, and he leads us into truth. See, students, there is no good for anyone outside of what God has prescribed as good for them. In other words, if you disagree with God about what's good for someone, you're not going to actually be loving them, even if you make them feel good for a moment. If you want to truly love, you need to love truth. There are some kind of like, cultural myths floating about love and truth right now, right? There's, there's this big idea about, like, what my truth is, right? And when people talk about, like, oh, this is my truth, suddenly, whatever they talk about, if you disagree with that, you're not just disagreeing with an idea, you're hating a person. If you, diso if you dishonor someone's truth, Right? See, students, we are called to honor other people, but what we're called to honor in people is the image of God in them, right? Biblically, that's, that is the basis for why we would honor other people, because they're made in the image of God. We are not called to honor every idea that someone has, CA students. And if their ideas, if their truth does not align with God's truth, first of all, it's not true. Second of all, that is not something that you are called to honor, and it's not something that will lead to their good, because God is the designer and the definer 
of what is good, CA students. There's another kind of like thought floating around in our culture that love is primarily a feeling or it's like an experience. But do you see what that immediately does? If it's an experience, where is that localized? In you. Suddenly love is about you and what you're receiving from other people. And, and it's true that love is it's a delightful experience, right? And I enjoy the, when I pursue other people's good and they experience that. That's amazing. And I feel that joy. But it's about sacrificing and desiring someone else's good. Love is fundamentally selfless. And if you primarily view it as a feeling or as an experience, suddenly it becomes selfish. See, students, that's not what love is. This is going to be kind of funny, but I didn't want to freak anyone out, so I smuggled a knife up on stage. But sometimes, why do pastors do this? Because it's memorable, right? Sometimes, love is like a knife. Sometimes love is like a knife. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? <laughs> you can handle it, see students. Love is, first of all, about pursuing someone else's good, not necessarily about preserving someone's feelings. Are you taking a picture of me holding a knife? <laughs> Here, let's just go for it. Full send. Right. All right. Here, here's the thing. Now everyone's taking pictures. Love is not, first of all, about preserving someone's feelings. Love is, first of all, about pursuing what their ultimate good is. Right? And so what is the greater danger? Hurting someone's feelings now or standing by while they destroy their life? You see, we do not evaluate what is loving by what, by what will make someone feel good. We evaluate what will bring about their actual good, what will bring about their flourishing, right? Sometimes my feelings need to be hurt so that my future can be saved. See, students, a knife can kill, obviously. That's what everyone's thinking. Why is he waving a knife around, right? A knife can be used to wound. A knife can be used to harm. But have you ever heard of surgery? A knife can also be used to cut out something that is killing someone. It causes a small wound to save, to deliver, to heal from a much bigger problem. CA students, a knife can be used to kill or for surgery. It can be used to harm or to heal. What's the difference? The motive. Are you pursuing their harm or are you pursuing their good? And so sometimes, yes, love is like a knife, CA students. And I want to be clear. This is not permission from your pastor to be callous and rude as you tell the truth to people, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Gentleness, kindness, those are fruits of the Spirit, right? When, when we speak the truth to people, it always must be in gentleness, kindness, humility, right? Hurting someone's feelings is not a good in and of itself. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me say that, right? I'm not calling you on a crusade to correct every wrong that you ever see. Don't hear me saying that. What I am doing is coming against a cultural instinct 
that believes and acts as though disagreeing with someone is hateful, as though disagreeing with someone is harmful. I remember hearing sometimes hurting in the short term is necessary for saving in the long term. I remember someone uh, in years past said to me, well, you shouldn't say that to someone because that will hurt their feelings and that is harm and Jesus is against harm. And what they're saying we shouldn't say is something in the Bible, <laughs> right? And it was just such a twisted way of viewing reality, right? Because at the end of the day, <laughs> the gospel starts with major hurt your feelings material, right? The gospel starts with, hey, you're a sinner, 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 I'm a sinner, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is sin? It's rebellion against God. God, God made this world. He defined what is true, what is good. And all of us have rebelled against that, right? And because of that, we have delivered death into the world and we deserve death because God is just and holy, right? And, and so the first time you hear the news that, you're, you, man, you're a sinner, right? That could hurt your feelings, right? The, listen, CA students, the gospel is always necessarily offensive. It's also the greatest news that has ever or will ever grace the earth. Sometimes they go together. And Jesus is willing to hurt our feelings in the short term to save us in the long term. Why? Because if you want to truly love, you need to love truth. There is no substantial truth, no substantial love outside of truth. So here's the third and final point. Jesus perfectly reveals truth in love. In fact, 1 John 4 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, in God in them. And else, excuse me, elsewhere in Colossians 1, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so what that means is Jesus is love put on display. You want to know what love is? Look at Jesus. And we already talked about he is truth. You want to know what truth is? Look at Jesus. All of a sudden, we have this one person where if you look at him, you can see that's what love and truth look like at the same time in every moment, right? Jesus is the image, the full expression of truth and love. And so if we want to know how to do this well, we have to look to him. We have to look at him. And so I just want, this is by no means an exhaustive list, but I just want to pick three little observations from the life of Jesus. First is the story of Zacchaeus. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. In those days, going to someone's house to eat a meal is like, yes, I, I associate with this person. We're homies. We're close. And this guy was the worst. And so to do this, Jesus is like, I'm stepping into something that will ruin my reputation, but I'm doing it because I want you to be saved. That's what's happening in the story, right? And so Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Listen, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the very incarnation of loving, tender mercy. He sees Zacchaeus. He embraces him. He invites him to repent, and Zacchaeus does, right? That is Jesus' love on display, love and truth, right? Have you ever read Matthew chapter 23? Well, if you have, Jesus does not hold back on uh, letting the Pharisees know what he thinks about them, right? These are just a few highlights. Go ahead and read it. He calls them hypocrites, calls them blind guides. It says, inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. On the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Did you know Jesus said that, right? Sometimes we can overcorrect to thinking Jesus is just love and we forget about the truth side. And he's like, no, he's just over here giving hugs and petting lambs, right? And, and we forget that, no, Jesus brought some truth, right? And, and so I want what I, again, hear me clearly. What I'm not saying is for you to like find people like, you're a hypocrite, right? Like I'm not calling you to just go and go crazy, what I'm showing you is that if we take a full inventory of Jesus' life, there were moments where Jesus was willing to hurt someone's feelings in order to call them to repentance so that they might be saved, right? One more story, or one, one last note on that, is Jesus is able to perfectly perceive the human heart and know what people need to hear to be able to respond, right? And what we're seeing through these is Jesus kind of scaled his approach based on the person's level of repentance, right? And so these people were very, very resistant. And so he's like, okay, here's the truth, right? And people that are ready to respond, Jesus was so, so gentle to. One last story uh, is Jesus um, was teaching and then these religious leaders throw in front of him a woman caught in the act of adultery, it's like an extreme story, right? And they say, Jesus, the law says that she's to be executed for this. What do you say, right? And Jesus just pulls like a Jesus move and just kind of ignores them and draws on the ground, right? And then, and then eventually, they're like, so what are we going to do? And they're picking up stones to execute her. And, and Jesus says, the one without sin can throw the first stone. And they all drop their stones and walk away. And then Jesus walks up to this woman and he said, where are, you, where are those who condemned you? And she says, he says, who is it that condemns you? She says, no one, Lord, they've all gone. And this is what Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And see, students, I think that might be the perfect line to sum up truth and love. Notice what Jesus leads with. I don't condemn you. I offer you grace and forgiveness, right? But that's not the whole story. Jesus also says, and leave this life of sin. Why does he say that? Is Jesus just being like a snooty, righteous person, telling her to get her act together? No, Jesus is calling her to salvation. 
the way she was living was leading her to death. And Jesus says, come out of that. Don't live that way anymore. Right? And I don't condemn you. I extend grace. Why is Jesus doing this? It's because he wants her to be saved. But without that truth, the love would be shallow. And without love, the truth would break us. See, students, Jesus is full of love and truth. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Kaleo, you can come up and we'll wrap up in a second. See, students, the gospel is always necessarily offensive, right? All have sinned. That hurts, that hurts my feelings sometimes when I'm confronted with my sin. But my feelings are not the highest good. My salvation is. And that's what God is after. And if you, the fact that we're all sinners is what is, what is reality. That's what's true. And if, here's the problem. If you ignore the offensive stuff about the gospel, then when you come around to the salvation side of things, you're like, Jesus died for your sin, but you're not totally sold that you're a sinner. You're like, nice. That's cool. And it doesn't feel important. But it's the most important thing that could ever have been spoken to you. CA students, we need love and truth together. When you realize the truth, the gospel becomes the most mind-blowing, soul-thrilling news to ever grace the earth. And, and so here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, this is not an easy task. But elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we are the ambassadors of Christ. We represent Jesus to the world. So see, students, we need to take this call very seriously. How are we going to live lives of love and truth? Let's truly love one another, desiring and sacrificing for one another's good. But let's not just leave it at sentimentality, right? Let's let God define what good truly is in every situation. And let's truly love one another by loving the truth. Most of all, let's take our lead from Jesus, who is the very embodiment of love and truth itself. This is not something we can accomplish in our own strength. We don't just need Jesus as our example, we need Jesus as our savior. And we need the Holy Spirit to empower this. And so we're gonna close and worship in just a second. You guys, if you would like to, you can stand and come up to the front. And we're going to respond. But I just want to lead us in a prayer. Because I would hate for us to become proud in the truth and lose our love. And I would also hate for us to be, be so big on love and, and lose sight of the truth. And suddenly our love is empty. It's hard to stay in the tension. And so I just want to really pray that the Holy Spirit would do that kind of work in us. And in the midst of this time, as we're worshiping, if you want to talk to a leader about something specific or ask for prayer for a specific area of your life, there are leaders around the room and you can do that. But God, I just pray that you would meet us in this moment. God, I pray that you would continue to lead us, guide us, speak to us, show us the way of eternal life. God, when we're with friends, and we're in complicated situations. God, show us how to love. 
And God, give us boldness to walk in it. Give us wisdom to know. And give us courage to live. This is a work of your spirit, and we're asking for it in Jesus' name. Amen.